Hello, everyone, and welcome to Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scriven-Young. I'm a commercial and environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Akar & Abramson, which is recognized as the largest law firm serving the construction industry with 115 lawyers and 11 offices around the U.S. On this show, we talk to the country's top litigators and judges to discover best practices in developing our careers, winning cases, getting more clients, and building a sustainable practice. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app to make sure you're getting updated with future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the litigation section of the American Bar Association. It's where I make my home in the ABA. The litigation section provides litigators of all practice areas the resources we need to be successful advocates for our clients. Learn more at ambar.org slash litigation. The beautiful city of San Diego will host the ABA Litigation Section's Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference from November 1st through the 3rd, and will be the backdrop for outstanding learning opportunities, networking, as well as social events. One of the programs that I'm most excited about is the program entitled Don't Fall Out, How to Build an Ethical and Effective Pitch to In-House Counsel, featuring two fantastic litigators, Amy Stewart and Heather White. I'm so glad that Amy and Heather are able to join us today on the podcast to give us a preview of their program and to provide some tips on how to make effective pitches to get more business. So let me introduce our guest. First, I'll start with Amy Stewart. She's a partner and founder of Stewart Law Group in Dallas, Texas, where she focuses on contract disputes, business torts, investigations, product liability, ERISA, employment, and labor matters. In addition to her civil trial experience, she is a certified Title IX investigator by the Association of Title IX Administrators a certified arbitrator with the American Arbitration Association, and also a certified FINRA arbitrator. She's also a bona fide team builder, having played Division I basketball at Wake Forest University, and she actually coached at Wake Forest and at Tulane University before shifting her focus to wins in the courtroom. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to see you again. And let me also introduce Heather White, who is head of global employment law, litigation, and investigations at Allspring Global Investments, which is an independent asset management company committed to thoughtful investing, purposeful planning, and inspiring a new era of investing that pursues both financial returns and positive outcomes. Prior to joining Allspring, Heather was in-house at TIAA Financial Services and a partner at a law firm in North Carolina. So glad to have you on the show, Heather. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me. Well, let's start and talk about the conference generally. So, Amy, why don't we start with you and uh, tell us why you believe the Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference is such an important conference. Well, actually, that question should have went to Heather first because years ago she was instrumental in making this one of the most strong, the, one of the strongest conferences that the ABA sexual litigation has. Essentially, it brought together a bunch of women's groups to create a CLE for women by women. And over the years, it has just been an exceptional arena for women to come together and to learn from each other. The CLEs are exceptional. And just like Heather and I's relationship, it's an opportunity for us to continue to build that and to grow and just to be able to catch up outside of our crazy busy lives. Well, great. And yeah, Heather, tell us more about the conference. Sure, happy to. And, and thank you, Amy, for the shout out. The Women's Conference started several years ago during Nancy Deegan's tenure as chair of our section. Our inaugural one was in Chicago and brought, I believe, over 300 female litigators, judges, in-house counsel together. It From there, it really has taken on a life of its own and has become a place that is 
really central to developing the mentoring relationships that young lawyers need and bringing in the connections with the more experienced lawyers across the country. We have found it to be a meeting that is welcoming, encouraging, insightful, and brings people into a place where they can network really freely without any sort of judgment. We have seen increased participation in the ABA, in the section of litigation in particular. Um, we almost always bring in new members, but then we also see the relationships developing over the years as this conference has, as people come back together and see each other after you know, a year or two apart. Well, Heather, what's interesting to me is that there are so many women-focused committees within the section of litigation. My understanding is that there's a women advocate committee, an insurance committee, women in products liability, labor and employment securities litigation, so many women subcommittees and committees within the section. Why is that? Why is it such a diversity focused uh, initiative for the section? That's a great question. Um, Obviously, the section and all the women's committees are committed to diversity in a much broader sense. Uh, The women's committees were one of the first started and have brought together female lawyers from across the country in forums such as this conference that we're coming up in San Diego and in others. Uh, And it's been a very meaningful connection point for female lawyers to find the type of mentorship that that they need. And it can be very different. Amy and I are part of a group of five or six women of all different years of experience. And we communicate almost daily on a chat text thread that we can bounce each other's, bounce ideas off each other for having issues with cases, pretty much anything in life. And I don't think that that would have happened without some of these women's committees. That said, I think we are always looking forward to how we can better integrate these committees into the broader diversity work of the ABA and into the section of litigation. Well, I love to hear that you're communicating even outside of these conferences. Amy, I wonder if you could tell us more kind of about how that group of of women came together. Was that through an ABA conference or was that through uh, some other initiative? Yeah, so I think it started, I mean, Heather, we're going to start aging ourselves here. I know. (laughs) We are. (laughs) At least over eight years ago. And I mean, it initially started at the ABA Corporate Council meeting, and then this meeting was birthed. And it just continued and being different opportunities for women in different parts of their career path to meet at these conferences. And we have the spectrum of women and ages in different practice areas. We have one woman who's at, you know, international big law. One other person is just retired. One is a a huge leader in the section. And then there's Heather and I. And I, I just, I mean, as my daughter Ava is graduating, has graduated from high school and is going off to college, I remember not only talking about how to be a great litigator, but how to be a great mom while I'm trying to be a great litigator and running these ideas past the elders in our group, the more distinguished ones about how did you deal with this and how did you deal with that? And so it was just an amazing experience, not only from a business perspective that we got to know each other as lawyers and litigators and trial attorneys, but also as moms and wives and dealing with all the things that we have to deal with, with all the different hats that we have to wear. Well, and it's interesting to me. So, you know, I come at this from 
you know, coming into the section as as some people think of it as a business proposition, right? You you join these EABA groups, you you network, and you, people sometimes people think of it just as oh, I, I'm in it just to get business. But oftentimes, and I think most of the time, you're not going to achieve those goals without kind of going beyond that, without developing that personal relationship that goes into not only the meetings, but having uh, networking and phone calls and, and lunches kind of outside of the meetings just to get to know each other. And that's how business referrals kind of flow. And I assume, Heather, that that's, this, that's how uh, this group got started and how uh, you've been so successful um, within kind of your, within the ABA, but as well as in your career at large. I think that that's absolutely spot on. If you think of the ABA and your membership as a, as a business proposition, um, you will get some value out of it. But if you think of it as a way to build your network of personal support and friendships across the country, you will get a million times more out of it. Um, and I, I personally is in-house now. So when I started in the ABA, I was at a law firm um, and I was guided by our yeah, our elders, as Amy said. They're going to kill us for that, by the way. I know that. Um, we're <laughs> we're going to get we're just going to get hammered. But um, <laughs> they, you know, helped me sort of, you know, with the whole coming up for partner, making partner frustrations, and then turning to going to in house and count, you know, great advice on my career options. And then once I've been in house, it has always been the relationships first, and the business aspect is there. Amy can tell me. You know, she doesn't have to tell me every day. I know she loves my business, but I also know she loves me. And if there's business to be had in Texas, it's going to go to Amy because of our relationship over the years. I guess I'm not supposed to say that out loud either, but it's that it's okay. kind of mindset. I can say that it's now on the record, right? Um, it's, <laughs> it's that kind of mindset. And when we were, you know, talking about this, you know, Amy had a great point in that women need to learn to just ask and it's okay to ask your friends but they have to be your friends first for you to make that ask in a truly genuine way. Yeah. Amy, any, uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we just build very special relationships through the ABA section of litigation. And I have to tell you every year when I get my little renewal notice, you know, it's, it's the relationships that I have with people that draws me back time and time again. I mean, obviously the things are, you can check the box, great content. I mean, just like this podcast that you've done an amazing job with building yourself with the support of the section, but it's, it's, it's your hard work that's made this just be incredibly successful, but it's the relationships and that's what business development is like. And last time I learned, women are really, really good at building relationships. It's, it's this disconnect that just drives Heather and I crazy that you think you can't use relationships to build a book of business that then can turn into you controlling your own destiny, which is what women have been doing forever. Well, and let's talk about building that book of business because your program um, at the Women's Conference is called Don't Fall Out how to build an ethical and effective pitch to in-house counsel. And Amy, I assume the don't fall out title might've come from you in, in your basketball days. No, actually it was my sister Heather so that she would tease <laughs> me into like, please, please, please be on this panel. Like she had to beg me. Right. But yeah, so she knew if it was going to have a sports theme, then I was going to be there. So it's, it's, it's called manipulation. 
(laughs) (laughs) It absolutely is. But I was just building off of Amy's amazing branding and marketing on LinkedIn. I I brag about her all the time is another reason why I wanted her on this panel, because she's such a good example of how to build your business and how to approach in-house counsel. So yes, I did. I completely picked that out so that Amy could not say no to me, but I am very, very excited about this. I think it's going to be a great, it's actually not really a panel. We are building this as a skills-based workshop type of presentation. We will have um, Amy as the best and the brightest of outside counsel as far as marketing, business development. I know she hates the word pitch, but business meetings, however you want to call it with in-house counsel. We are also going to have um, very high-level in-house counsel to provide feedback. I'll be moderating and keeping the conversation going. We have attorneys from a couple of law firms who are very brave, and they are going to present some sort of sample business development pitches, not elevator pitches, but, you know, a section of how they were present to in-house for asking for business. And on top of all that, we are going to have some live action where we will have questions written out on the tables and groups will have a few minutes to come up together with the best answer to those questions, questions they might get from an in-house counsel during an interview uh, and present those to the panel. So I think it's going to be really, really valuable for all litigators, particularly those who are just getting their sea legs with walking into that conference room or clicking on that Zoom link to to pitch themselves, really. Yeah, and it sounds super interactive as well. And Heather, I'm sure as in-house counsel over the years, you've been pitched a number of times. And so I was wondering if you could uh, share with us some best practices uh, that you've seen from lawyers at law firms who are coming in to pitch you and your companies. Sure. At risk of stating the obvious, those that make an effort to not just get to know me and my background, but who get to know the company and have done research on the company. We are, my present company is in a very unique situation as we were spun out from a very large bank and are essentially a startup at scale. And I have had pitches made to me that didn't appreciate that distinction. It's a very different position to be in. And I've had those that stand out because they say, oh, I've read about Allspring and where you are in your journey. And here's where I think we can add value. And we understand what you're going through or what you're dealing with. And so that is critical. And honestly, it's like a 10 minute Google search. It's not hard, but people forget to do it. Being genuine and saying, you know, here's, here's what we can do for you. Here's where I think you have opportunity. Point out to me my own weaknesses. That's fine. I need to see that. And where you can fill in the gaps, because that's what we're looking to do whenever we hire outside counsel, is to fill the gaps for things that we can't do ourselves. It's not a safety net or a, you know, a backup to check whether or not I know the law. It's for a skill I'm looking for. Got it. And Amy, any other best practices that you wanted to share? Yeah, the reason I don't like the word pitch is because to me, it sounds unauthentic and really I think what goes to the core of the reason I've become successful is that I just stepped into being my authentic self. So, you know, I practice in Dallas, Texas, and growing up as a baby litigator, 
all of my mentors and everyone that I reported to were older white men and they were fabulous and they were great. And they were, some were my sponsors and some were my mentors and some were not. But for years, I was trying to be the best darn white man I could be and nothing was sticking, nothing was happening for me. And finally, when I felt strong enough in my skills and confidence in myself, I just kind of decided I'm just going to have to be me and this is going to work or it's not. And it's been the most success I've ever had in my life. And it's because I didn't think of when I go into a corporation or whatever to to talk to them about Stuart Law Group, I don't want to think of it as an elevator pitch or I just feel like when you hear that people are snapping their fingers, right? Like It just makes me feel like someone's going to try to sell me a used car. And so I hate it. And so that's why I kind of push back on it being a pitch. And so best practice for me is that you got to show up as who you are because people feel that. They know when you're coming in and trying to be like someone else versus when you're trying to come in and be who you are. So, Amy, can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Because I think a lot of people, some people think of it as a catchphrase, you know, be yourself and that sort of thing. Can you give us a um, like a tangible example of, of something that maybe you do during a pitch or even at a, a client meeting to be yourself as opposed to trying to be somebody else? Yeah, so I love sports and part, uh, I mean, and, I mean, a lot of people love sports And so one of the things that I'll do, I mean, I'm obviously going to learn your business, but I'm also going to learn who you are. I'm going to learn where you live, not not like your like home address, but like what city. (laughs) Um, I'm going to learn, like try to figure out what sports teams, you know, everybody loves college football and we're about to roll up on that season. And so I figure out, you know, especially in Texas, we love football. So I figure out where you go to college and, you know, I'm already a sports fan. So I'm not being unauthentically myself. I mean, I'm being I'm, I'm being authentically myself. So I'm not trying to figure out what a sport is and then try to connect with you that way. I, I love football. And so I find out if you are a football fan. And so guess what we talk about? We talk about football. And that builds a relationship that we have talking about football. And I talk about the head coach. And I talk about, ah, you guys are moving over to the SEC. You're going to get your butt whooped. And then it just kind of lessens the tension and the awkwardness of meeting a new person. And as as the outside counsel, that is my job. I'm supposed to make in-house counsel feel comfortable that I got their back. And if I can joke with you about the upcoming football season and how how bad the Longhorns or the Sooners may get beat up when they finally go to the SEC, whenever that is, then that that builds a connection with us that, that goes past the business relationship. I love that. Heather, so switching topics a little bit, I know as in-house counsel, you've probably seen some, maybe some bad pitches over the years. Uh, can you give us some examples of some mistakes that you've seen attorneys make when uh, making a pitch to you or just being in a client meeting with you? Sure. I think making any assumptions about what I or my team or my colleagues know or don't know Now that's a hard one, right? Like it's kind of like you're between a rock and a hard place, but I've had people come in who were hiring on a specialty thing and they assume that because we're talking to them that we don't know anything about the subject matter. That's a lack of doing your homework, right? Because then you would find that in fact we have 
you know, subject matter expertise on XYZ topic. And, and that's not the approach we needed. What we needed was something else. So always the ones that sort of flop are the, are the scripted routine. Here's what we say to everyone. Here's our bench. Here's what we do. And we're great. Like those, I, it's one is like watching paint dry. Two, I want to poke my eyes out. And three, you haven't told me that you want my business because you haven't really taken a deep look at what I need. That's really the biggest one. But those who come in and are comfortable and they're comfortable in their expertise, chances are if I'm calling you, I already know that you're an expert in XYZ type of law, right? But they come in and they're able to identify an issue and talk through it in sort of a hypothetical situation. We build that rapport. All of that is going to go towards a successful first meeting, second meeting, and a long-term relationship. It's interesting, you know, that you talked about, you know, a specific expertise. I think that, you know, one of the problem areas for me, frankly, has been thinking of myself as too much of a litigation generalist as opposed to having um, some specific expertise. And I do, I do have expertise in environmental law, kind of grew up in that area, but sometimes, you know, want to expand myself into other areas because there's more business in other areas. So it's interesting to hear that you hear you talk about, you know, having a specific subject matter expertise rather than just being a general litigator and that that's effective for you or to you to get to get business. Well, yes and no, because um, part of what I was saying is sometimes we have the subject matter expertise and you may not, but you may have the litigation skills and what, what I find frustrating is when someone thinks I'm hiring them because we don't have our own subject matter expertise. In other words, they come in giving sort of a basic presentation on, you know, I don't know, securities litigation or FINRA issues. We know that stuff. We're the experts. So I do think that the common wisdom now is, you know, go, go deep in an industry, get to know it really well. And yes, that is very useful. But if I'm going to litigate in an area, I'm also going to want to know what are your relationships in the local bar? How have you, you know, shown up in court? What are your skills? What are your hard litigation skills? So I'm not so much dismissive of general litigators. That's how I grew up and that's how I learned everything I know. Excellent. That's great to know as well. Um, and then, Amy, um, any other kind of mistakes that you've seen attorneys make during pitches or client meetings or perhaps, you know, maybe even a mistake that you made yourself that uh, you've corrected over the years? Yeah. So one that I've cor- corrected over the years. So, I, you know, I used to be brought in on pitches. Now, I, I wasn't able to say nothing. I was there for a particular purpose, but, but and it was not to speak. It was to be seen. So. I just remember when I was there, I would watch the partners do exactly what Heather's talking about. Talk to them like they're not the experts. And I didn't get that until later on and when I was going in to do my own pitch that there is this disconnect for some of my outside brother and sister lawyers that when someone goes in-house, they leave their lawyer brain at the firm. No, you need to deal in team with in-house counsel like they're lawyers. 
and talk to them like they're lawyers and like they are the experts. So when I first came out, I thought I was going to go in with my fancy shiny suit and tell them what they were doing wrong and how I was going to come in. And I quickly learned that is not the way to do it. And when I changed again to kind of being more like me, which is a team, I, I like to build teams and started talking about teaming up with my in-house counsel, like know your role and be a star in your role. Then I started getting more success versus coming in and, and acting as if I was going to tell Heather White um, what she was going to do. So I, I think um, that's a lesson that I learned. Um, also, you have to get everyone that is attending that pitch with you prepared. And that they, and if they're younger attorneys, they need to learn from your past experiences. For example, that what I just shared in regard to, you know, these people are in-house now because they are subject matter experts in the financial services industry. And so don't go in there trying to one-up them on some FINRA situation, no, team up with them. Let them know that you're going to be a good team member and that you're going to have their back when something arises. That's our job as outside counsel. Yeah, that's great. So I have to ask about diversity and inclusion. I, I think that's maybe what you were hinting at, um, that you were there for a particular reason. <laughs> um, so I don't know, Amy, tell us more about that. I mean, I think there's so much in the press, I think, about how diversity inclusion is um, important, especially in pitches and bringing uh, diverse folks to those pitches. But maybe what you're hinting at is the particular role that diverse folks should play in a pitch. Um, so tell us more about how you felt and, and what we should be doing uh, in that area. I, I just, I think that if you are the partner at ABC Law Firm and you know you're going to do a pitch and you know that for that in-house counsel and for that business in the environment that they serve and the clients and customers that they serve and, and if they are of the mindset that we want vendors, suppliers, outside counsel to mirror and look like our customers then that means that you need to prepare your entire team to be able to participate in the pitch and not just go, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. let me, okay, oh, hey, 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 what are you doing on Thursday at 11? You know, and not get them prepared. First of all, put yourself in that person's shoes that they, they don't know what's going on. They don't, they may not know anything about this subject matter and, and they're told to come in and just be fill in the blank. That's not going to work for you in the long term. And if you invested 30 minutes of your time with getting to know Bobby and say, hey, Bobby, we've got this pitch with ABC Corporation and, you know, we want to go in. We would like for you to be a part of the pitch. Let's talk about their business. Let's talk about how you can work on these matters is a better way to do it for everybody uh, all around. Because if you think that in-house counsel doesn't realize what you're doing or you're, you know, getting pulling something over her, it's not going to help you in the long run. And guess what? It's not authentic. And they're going to figure that out. Mm. Yeah. I, I'll go even farther than that. I even think looking down the hall and spending 30 minutes with someone to get them ready for a pitch isn't enough. If people aren't developing, mentoring, and retaining diverse talent, they're dead before they walk in my door. 
because it's just so obvious when someone's been pulled in like that. I too have had, I, w- I went to a pitch. I didn't know I went, I didn't even know I was there because I was in the pitch book, but like they didn't even bother to bring me in the room. But it, it goes beyond that. I expect law firms to be showing up with their best talent. And I expect them to figure out a way how to make sure that that best talent includes diversity because that's the only way it's going to be. What I really get irritated about is when I am told as in-house counsel that it's my job to make law firms diverse because they can't do it on their own. That's a cop-out and they can do it. So train them up. They're going to be way ready before that 30 minutes. And that's how you do it. That's, that's my humble opinion on that one. I'll get off my soapbox now, but that's it. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time together. And I think that both of you have given us a taste of what it's going to be like to attend this fantastic program at the Women's Conference. So any final words uh, from either of you regarding uh, pitches about uh, your program or about uh, the conference generally? I would just say sign up for this conference. The conversations that we had today just scratched the surface of how blunt and honest and supportive people like Amy and I can be for others in the industry. You will find your Amy, you'll find your elders, and it is very, very meaningful, well beyond what you may learn in addition to the fantastic CLE. Great. And Amy, any final words for us? I just look forward to seeing everybody in San Diego. Perfect. Well, Amy Stewart, Heather White, thank you so much for being on the show today. And to learn more about effective pitches and to see Amy and Heather live to discuss these issues, please join us at the Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference. To register, please go to ambar.org slash litigate her. That's ambar.org slash litigate H-E-R. Amy and Heather, Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dave, and all the work that you do. To give us a preview of the Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference, I'm glad to welcome back MC Sangaila to the show. MC is a partner at Complex Appellate Litigation Group in their Orange County, California office. She's an award-winning appellate attorney who has briefed or argued more than 170 appeals and has appeared before the U.S. Supreme Court, multiple state Supreme Courts, numerous federal and state appellate courts, and even the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. She also is the creator and host of an award-winning podcast, The Portia Project, which celebrates the achievements of path-breaking and leading women judges and lawyers and seeks to inspire the next generation of women lawyers and law students. So MC, so glad to have you back to the show. Thanks, Dave, for having me. I appreciate it. And it's always fun to hang out with a fellow podcaster as well. All righty. So, you know, let's let's dive right into it. Um, So tell us, what is the Women's Conference all about this year? Yeah, so I'm very pleased to be one of four co-chairs of the Women in Litigation Conference, which will be on the West Coast this year, November 1 to 3, in San Diego, California. So those looking to escape and have, you know, some some nice beach experience in November um, from the East Coast are, are welcome to join us. And we're we're really focused on having as much interaction as possible, um, as much informal opportunities for people to meet. We were putting our heads together about what makes a conference special and meaningful to attend, especially after COVID, when now we have so many things we can do over Zoom. So we have great substantive programs, but we also have built in a lot of 
I would say, soft skill training in terms of networking and business development and and other kinds of coaching programs, and then also opportunities to use those new skills at various diner rounds and dinners and uh, afternoon social activities. Excellent. So let's break that down a little bit. So what programs are you most looking forward to at the conference? There's four programs that I'm really excited about. Two of them fit in the category of what I mentioned, which is sort of a new approach to the programming, which is skill building through some really great executive coaches and former in-house counsel, former general counsel in one case. So we we start off the program on Wednesday evening with what we call slow networking, strong strategic relationships and how to build those. And that is with Sheila Murphy, who has her own consulting company, but was previously a a very high-ranking in-house counsel at a a large Fortune 50 company. And she's going to lead people through various things, basically how to maximize the conference that you're at and some new skills to build in there. So that'll be interactive and kind of a good kickoff to everything. And then immediately after that is actually a program I'm moderating with women judges on the path to the bench and insights into effective advocacy. And we have judges from all over the country, from the Alaska Supreme Court to the West Virginia Supreme Court, from the federal court in Alabama to a local, the the administrative presiding justice of the Court of Appeal for the the whole regional area where we're having the conference and one of the very up and coming uh, trial judges in Los Angeles Superior Court as well. So it's a, a broad array and judges from all over the country in many different roles. So I'm really excited about that kickoff to the conference itself. Later on Friday, Michelle Banks, who is formerly general counsel at The Gap and also an amazing executive coach, will be leading another interactive program involving leading high-performance teams and how to go about doing that and having some team-building exercises and discussions during that program. Then we'll have a really great program with leading women trial lawyers on the best, you know, most outstanding opening or closing arguments, cross-examinations, things that, that they are going to discuss and break down about sort of the the best, some of the best examples of doing each of those. Well, all of those sound great and fun programs as well, I think. But let's talk about some other fun things that happen at the conference. Let's talk about the social events. What events are you look, looking forward to in that area? Yeah, I think that one, one favorite that will remain um, and has been a part of the Women in Litigation Conference for a long time and has really been a great way of of cementing and expanding relationships has been the dine arounds. So we arrange uh, locations for people to have dinner, people sign up and just you're able to have dinner with different groups of people that you might not know, but by the end of dinner, you do. So that's a really uh, fun component of the conference that we're carrying over this year. And then I think the biggest difference as far as opportunities to to talk and and meet with people and discuss issues in a more informal way during the conference is something new, which are luncheon roundtable discussions. 
So you're able to select the particular discussion you, you want to have. We've put together a few of them. We have a discussion leader for each table, and then you're you're able to interact and discuss some of these, you know, substantive issues or or other types of issues that women lawyers face and, and share that as a sort of a bonding experience with everyone at the table and to, again, have the opportunity to meet new people. That's outstanding. And one of the things that our listeners might want to know is how do you get the best kind of bang for your buck out of a conference like this? Because it seems like there's so many opportunities, right? There is uh, chances to meet people. There are outstanding programs, great social events. And then you have the whole San Diego vibe and area where you can enjoy the outside. You can enjoy, you know, looking at the mountains and the ocean and all that kind of stuff. What sort of plan should we put in into place when thinking about going to a conference like the Women in Litigation CLE Conference? Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you would you would ask this question, which I think is is great. I think it applies to all kinds of conferences, but it's particularly helpful for you know for those planning to come to this one. I, I asked uh, Sheila Murphy, who I mentioned earlier, who will be running our our kickoff uh, program at the conference, what some of her tips would be. And she gave them to me. So, I, so I'd so i rather share Sheila Murphy's tips than MC's tips on this regard, the, the experts at this kind of stuff. So, so Sheila, Sheila's tips kind of fall into the three categories, before a conference, at the conference, and after the conference. I think that first, thinking about it that way is important. A lot of people just think like, well, I'm just going to get myself there. And, and that's the most important thing. And then we'll just kind of see what happens. But the before the conference, the the planning and having an, an intentional approach to what you want to take away from the conference beyond just which programs you want to attend, but what is your purpose in going there? You know, what kind of people do you want to meet? Uh, which kinds of activities do you want to engage in? And just research the event itself and the people who are attending. If you can see who's who's attending or who you know is speaking, and there's somebody who's speaking that you want to meet, you know, you can plan ahead for that too. So I think that planning planning ahead, but yet being open to new opportunities that arise with new people that you meet is important. And then at the event, I think people sometimes struggle with, you know, what do I say to people I don't know? People tend to stay together with the people they know already, which limits your opportunity to meet new people. So you want to cement the relationships you have, but you never know. You could have, you know, your your next uh, best friend or client or colleague, you know, that you haven't met yet. So thinking about that is how how do you engage in, you know, fruitful and meaningful conversations and Sheila talks about, you know, make sure that you ask people questions about themselves. I think sometimes people worry about explaining themselves and what they do, but also be sure to be curious about others. You know, why are they there? What are they hoping to get out of the event? Just asking follow-up questions with them. And then in terms of, I know sometimes people think about elevator pitches and things like that, but I think Sheila has an interesting way of putting it, of saying, well, just focus on your value to others instead of thinking of it as a a sales kind of thing. And then I love this. She had one tip that she says, make an effort even when you don't want to. And I think that we've all had that. We're at a conference. We're a little bit tired. We're like, oh, 
you know, I'd really just like to sit here with my drink and, you know, talk to one person that I know, but you never know, you know, just kind of step out your out of your comfort zone and talk to people you don't know, even when it might not seem like something you would enjoy doing at that point in time. I think of it as kind of like, if you're procrastinating and you don't want to do something, just spend 10 minutes at it, you know, and you might, you might just stay a little bit longer. So I think that's, that goes in that category. And then the, the after the event is, is really important. I think this is where people uh, will come back, they'll come back to their lives and they, they don't follow up from the event. So Sheila recommends, of course, following up with a personalized note or, or a LinkedIn connection or message afterwards send thank you notes if they're particular panelists or speakers you really enjoyed their program or someone you really enjoyed meeting. And then again, the follow-up, if you offered to provide something to someone, a connection to someone, information, follow up and do it. So that's those are kind of tips. I don't know, Dave, what what would you add to those? Because you're you're pretty good at this. Yeah. I mean the one thing I would say and just kind of piggyback off of what you said is to make an effort when you don't want to. And I, although I have a podcast and talk to people all the time, I, th- I see myself as kind of an introverted person. And frankly, when I go to some of these larger social events, I see a lot of people talking with each other and it's hard to jump into a conversation yeah. when people seem to already, you know, having, having a conversation with a friend and maybe you know, I think, well, they don't want me to jump in. Well, yeah, you don't want to intrude, right? You're like, oh, they're, they're doing their thing. I don't want to intrude. Exactly. But I think the the most important thing is, and I've, and I've heard this term before, you have to extrovert yourself um, in that kind of a situation that, you know, people do want to see you. They do want to meet new people. And frankly, you know, one of the big tips that I've heard over the years, and I've kind of used this in my own practice when I go to these events, you got to go early to the event because oftentimes if you're one of the first people at a social event, then people tend to kind of gather around you and you're able to start those conversations. If you come later to an event or um, you kind of come in the middle, oftentimes, you know, people have already kind of cemented those conversations and people that they're seeing. And then you kind of feel like you are intruding. But if you're there early, um, especially before the drinking begins, you know, certainly you, you can have that, those conversations. And I think the evening will go a lot easier. At least that it happens for me than just trying to, to come late, you know, because, oh, you know, you're, you procrastinate and going, no, just get there, get there early, start conversations, extrovert yourself. Um, and that'll lay the foundation, I think, for a good evening at a social land. Yeah, that's a really great suggestion. I think going early, because I think most people are concerned about going early. The, oh, there's not enough people. I won't know what to do. But you're right. The, the conversations or the groups have not been cemented. And the people who are there, you know, it's just easy. It's a smaller, more manageable group of people to approach who may not already have you know, groups they're talking to. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great option that a lot of people don't think about. I think to your extroverted point, I'm kind of an introvert as well, although I enjoy learning about people. And so I think of it as, to Sheila's point about asking people questions, asking people to learn about other people. I think that is less daunting to some people than thing, oh, I have to go out there and do this razzle-dazzle show for people. Like, no, just be curious and interested in other people and it'll be 
it'll be interesting for you and and they'll be happy to talk to you. Well, and I think the mistake that I've made over the years uh, when coming to these kind of events is to think of it first and foremost as you're trying to sell yourself or trying to get business on the spot, which of course never happens. I think what you're really trying to do is just build relationships with folks. And yeah, you're going to ask for business later on, you know, during the relationship, if you meet an in-house counsel that you uh, connect with and that sort of thing, or, or you might get a referral, you know, from a friend. But I think the point of these conferences is sure you're there to learn um, and you're there for, for professional development, but you're there to to lay the foundations for a relationships. And that's where that follow-up comes into play because yeah. when you meet people, you, you build these contacts. Sure, you may have a LinkedIn connections that's, you know, a mile long or a Rolodex, if people even have those anymore, that's a mile long. But if you don't have a relationship with these folks, if you're not actually friends with people, then you're not going to get out of, you're not going to get the the business because people know you, but they don't uh, trust you. They don't, they don't have that kind of relationship with you that, that you need in order to, you know, have that business later on. So those are some of the things that I think about when, when going into a conference for sure. Yeah. It's part of a larger continuum. The conference is one point in a constellation of connections between, between people, but an in-person connection you know, can really cement connections you may have had over the phone or, you know, over LinkedIn or email or things like that. So it has a a different quality to it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what other things should first timers know? And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's daunting. You're going into a conference that you've never been at before. You think that it's going to be great, but you're not sure what to do. So what advice would you give to first timers who are thinking about coming to the conference? Well, I would say come because it's always fun to have new faces and new folks who haven't been there before. That's what makes it fun and interesting for for everyone who's got who goes to the conference regularly as well to see to meet new people and to expand the group of women in litigation and who attend the conference. But I think it's a lot of the this a lot of the things we've been talking about, but really I think about like don't let fear rule you. Like if you're concerned about going, you're like, oh, I don't know anybody. Like, well, that's fine because by the end you will. <laughs> and that's what the various you know opportunities to for us to facilitate those connections through things like the lunch roundtables where we have facilitated discussions, where we have just social opportunities for people to, to do things themselves and make their own arrangements to have coffee or lunch or, or other connections with people. It's not a daunting group. It, it might seem like it, but it's very sociable, especially at the opening reception and the diner rounds. People are very open to meeting others and to meeting new people. And then there's also um, different groups who come together at this conference who are focused on women in product liability or, or um, women in insurance. And so if you have a particular area that you work in, that you you're not part of that committee, you can you know find your place there uh, with people who who do your your kind of law. If that's something that makes you feel comfortable as well. And it seems like the vibe of the conference, at least talking to uh, Heather White and, and Amy Stewart, it seems like the vibe is very collaborative, very friendly. That 
not only do they want to meet kind of people that they've seen over the years at this conference, but they really do want to meet new folks to kind of broaden uh, their connection base. But also because it seems like they just want to help each other, which, you know, for lawyers, uh, that may seem counterintuitive sometimes because we, we're going back and forth in litigation and discovery and all this kind of stuff. But the, the women that go to this conference really seem like they want to help each other and are, are very happy to help, especially uh, young lawyers who are new, new to the conference, but new to the profession as well. Yeah, it's not standoffish at, at, at all. And I think actually, you know, Amy Stort and I, we knew of each other and we'd been in ABA leadership and things like that prior to one of the women in litigation conferences. But I can fairly well say that we we bonded during during the spa activities um, at one of the women in litigation conferences and since have been, you know, great cheerleaders for each other and supporters of each other's work and careers. So that's just to say, you just never know where that can come from. And I think it's another, another great example of why it's important to, to meet people in person. There you go. Well, MC, thanks so much for being on the show today. And just as a reminder to folks, if you do want to register for the conference, and I highly suggest that you do, please go to ambar.org slash litigate her. Let's litigate H-E-R. MC Sangaila, thank you so much for being back on the show. Thanks so much. And also I would recommend signing up early to get the early discount and to make sure that you, you get your choice of room at the hotel. Excellent. Thanks, MC. All right. Thank you. Before our tip segment, we're going to take a quick break. Thank you to Disco for sponsoring Litigation Radio. Disco makes the law work better for everyone with cutting-edge solutions that leverage AI, cloud computing, and data analytics to help legal professionals accelerate e-discovery and document review. Learn more at csdisco.com. And now it's time for a quick tip from the ABA Litigation Section's Mental Health and Wellness Task Force. And I'd like to welcome Lindsay Pelega for her first tip on the podcast. Lindsay is an associate at Cat Siegel and Maple in Tampa Bay, Florida, where she focuses her practice on construction and commercial litigation matters. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks, Dave. I'm happy to be here. Well, I understand you're going to be talking about managing your self-care. So what's your quick tip? Yeah, Dave. So when you asked me to come on the show, I really spent some time reflecting on what mental health means to me and what it means to society as a whole and sort of the fad that it's become. We've heard a lot of buzzwords like therapy girlies and mindful breathing used more as a pun or a joke than they're actually being implemented, particularly in the workplace. Um, So I was inspired today with this tip by a partner at my firm, um, Haley Maple, who is speaking on the ABA litigation section's panel next week titled, It's Not Just Mindfulness in Yoga. So a little shameless plug for that event. Um, It'll be Tuesday, July 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern time for anyone who would like to tune in. Um, It's on the ABA section of litigation website. So I want to preface this by saying I do not discredit any of the mental health tips and behaviors that have preceded me or that will follow me. I think they're all great and they all might work for you. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that collectively as a society, we're slowly acknowledging that everyone doesn't feel all of that great all of the time. And it's important because there's certain moments in life that are really, really difficult to just breathe away. And therapy, while it's wonderful, has its own barriers to access, cost, location, time, or just finding somebody you click with. 
So that said, there is such a thing as toxic positivity. And that's a lot of what we're seeing on the public front. When we're on LinkedIn and what employers are sharing are comments like, it could be worse or everything happens for a reason. You'll get through this. These sort of platitudes can really put shame and blame on people who may be dealing with incredibly difficult situations or emotions. So when I sat down and really thought this through about things that had helped me through those really tough times, I wanted to come up with a list that went beyond the day-to-day, more than yoga, more than mindful breathing, and look into some of those harder times and what actually helped me get through those. I think that's when mental health matters the most. And I think it's rarer, at least for me, that I wake up and have enough money in my bank account. Everyone in my life is happy and healthy, and I'm thinking about my mental health. It's, it's just not happening. I'm thinking about my mental health when it's slipping. And I'm saying that because it's the reality. And of course, I think that we should all be <laughs> doing these things every day, but it comes to the forefront when you're feeling the worst. So I think we all innately know we should be doing these things to take care of ourselves. But when it all comes down to it, those big moments are when we really need to pull together those resources that we've been building in the meantime. So I'm a second-year attorney. I was a COVID law school baby. Uh, And let's say hypothetically, I studied for the bar exam. My aunt died. I had three COVID infections in a year and was locked in my room um, that entire time. And there were methods I had to come up with to cope with that, as we all did through that pandemic. I think it's clear by the specificity in that example that it, it wasn't a hypothetical. That's that's how the last few years were for me. And maybe I'm being bold in saying this, but I don't think I'm the only one that's still recovering from the insanity that was the pandemic and the giant disruption that it was to all of our lives. So I want to caveat this with, I was doing all of the obvious mindful things at that time. I was exercising daily. I was making sure to get outside. I was eating healthy and I was going to therapy, but I was more overwhelmed than I'd ever been before. So I've been trying to reflect on what worked for me during that period. And outside of the obvious, take care of yourself, I realized pretty quickly that what felt so bad for me was the lack of control and feeling powerless and that was what was making me feel drained and ironically, even more powerless. So I realized there was a real solution to this problem. There were things I could do that were within my control. And since I recognized this, I've given myself a lot more grace. I've let myself feel the bad emotions instead of denying them. It's easy to use that toxic positivity and tell yourself that things are really not that bad, but somehow we started doing it even when times were bad, when we were in an actual global pandemic. And I think for a lot of people, we're still processing exactly what that bad was for us. It doesn't mean that all of life is bad, but it means that was bad. And there is so much still within our control. So for instance, one of the things I've been doing is I've added a lot of pro bono volunteer work to my day-to-day since we've gotten back into the swing of things. And I know that sounds like I'm adding to my plate, but I've found that it that makes me feel replenished. And mindful breathing wasn't doing that for me. And I think that most employers don't mind losing a few hours of productivity to let that happen within working hours. I think we all know we we want more productive, more fulfilled employees. All of this is said to say that mindfulness and meditation and yoga are wonderful and good, but they provide temporary relief. One session won't be the cure, and even one session a day might not be enough to leave a deep or lasting effect. 
Mental health isn't just disorders. It's not just depression and anxiety. It's your entire emotional connection or disconnection that you're feeling with yourself, with others, with work, at home. And emotional needs aren't shameful. They're not inconvenient. Having a bad day is just that. Let yourself take a day off and don't let yourself feel bad about it. Do what is within your control. Say you're sorry when you feel like you messed up. Listen to others thoughtfully and acknowledge their views and differences. If it feels like the world is burning down, jump in where you can to stop it. You don't have to put the entire fire out. And I think the best thing I've done for myself was to ask for help. It's incredible how fast help will come when you ask. If you're feeling overwhelmed or down, call your friends and say just that. Sure, go to therapy too, but I think it's pretty shocking how many people want to help others feel better. Sometimes it's not doing more that you need. It's not adding extra items to the to-do list. You might benefit from 10 minutes of meditation followed by a 5 a.m. yoga, followed by a kale salad, a full day of work, and then everything else. Or you might not. There's been this big push to do more to feel better. But I think, at least in my case, the answer was less. So many of us, I think especially hardworking professionals like us, are already going above and beyond every day. Sleep the extra 30 minutes when you need it. Work from home when and if you can. Do workouts you enjoy because it feels good to move. Be mindful on accident when you're daydreaming in the car or sitting outside listening to the birds. Mental health is about feeling yourself out, thinking deeply about what you need, not about what others tell you will make you feel good. Trust yourself. You know who you are. Well, thank you, Lindsay, so much for those tips. Really appreciate your authenticity and honesty. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Dave. I was happy to be here. Well, that's all we have for our show today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. If you have comments or a question you'd like for me to answer on an upcoming show, you can contact me at dscriven-young at pecklaw.com and connect with me on social. I'm at AttorneyDSY on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also connect with the ABA litigation section on those platforms as well. But as much as I'd like to connect with you online, nothing beats meeting you in person at one of our next litigation section events. And as you've heard all episode, uh, we'd like you to make plans to join us at the Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference in San Diego, taking place November 1st through the 3rd. Join us as we highlight women leading for success in the courtroom, in the judiciary, and in the profession. Programming will focus on trial skills, insurance litigation, products liability litigation, and securities litigation. Connect with leading litigators, judges, and in-house counsel from around the country to find out more. And for registration information, please go to ambar.org slash litigate her. That's litigate H-E-R. And if you like this show, please help spread the word by sharing the link to this episode with a friend or through a post on social and invite others to join the show and community. If you want to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, it's incredibly helpful. Even a quick rating at Spotify is super helpful as well. And finally, I want to quickly thank some folks who make the show possible. Thanks to Michelle Oberts, who's on staff at the litigation section, as well as our fabulous producer, Rich Rivera. Thank you, Rich. And thanks also goes out to my fellow co-chairs of the litigation section's audio content committee, Josh Jones and Tyler True. Thank you to the audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.